Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. Season 8. Yes, we are actually doing um, Season 8 on local cases Yes, in North Carolina, if you guys didn't know where we were at. <laughs> we talk about it a lot, but just in case. <laughs> so we are actually going to be doing 10 different episodes because we had t- kind of a hard time like narrowing it down, but we're going to do it in our typical eight-week format. So what that means is two weeks you will get two episodes so you'll get a tuesday episode and a friday episode two weeks and those will be when we have we have a couple shorter episodes that don't have a ton of information but we still wanted to cover so you'll know when those weeks are coming we'll warn you ahead of time so that's how that's gonna work um yeah i'm super excited um i think You know, we've got a a couple of good cases that maybe not a lot of people have heard about. Um, But yeah, I also wanted to take the time to thank um, our patrons, Patreonuses, Patreon, I don't know, Um, our peeps on Patreon. um, We have two of them, and it is Jasmine and Amanda. So thank you for um you know join us on patreon we really appreciate it yes and we are we do two episodes a month on patreon one is a current story one is just a regular story of whatever topic we feel like and actually lately i've been watching a lot of stuff in the news so i've been doing like a solo really short episode of something that just doesn't have a ton of information but so you can actually look forward to getting three most of the time so there's that but um I'm always like sending you random like story articles or articles, story articles, <laughs> random <laughs> articles on um, cases that are like currently happening and it's crazy. Yeah, our text message thread is kind of ridiculous. Anybody who saw it would be like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but we also, um, we had a couple stories we wanted to tell real quick just because we had some extra business. But um, Lizzie asked, <laughs> I so I posted this picture on Instagram on our crashers and crime Instagram where there were these leaves in my backyard that looked like animal like pieces of an animal so I said I would tell this story real quick and basically I was out picking up dog poop (laughs) in my backyard and I noticed it was like just like a ton of they're like kind of curved leaves if you haven't seen this you can check it out on our Instagram but and it looked kind of like a snout and they're like a little bit fuzzy fuzzy like fuzzier than a peach but not like furry like a dog like in between the two and I dead ass thought it was like a squirrel or a rabbit or something like that and they were there was a ton I'm like oh my god there's a dead animal here and then I kept finding them and I started freaking out I'm like there's a bunch of dead animals in my backyard what is happening is my dog doing this and I'm not seeing it somehow and um, my boyfriend laughed very, very hard <laughs> because apparently that's a common type of leaf here. <laughs> but um, I had never seen it. I've never seen that kind of leaf. It looks like um, if anybody has, uh, you know, dogs that you give them like pig ears um, to chew on and on, like it looks like that, but furry. It, it really did look like an ear. Like a, a yeah. Dog, unfortunately, but I've never seen those leaves before. It's gotta be a North Carolina thing. Um, yeah, I don't. 
don't know. I've never noticed it, and it just it scared the crap out of me because there were so many, <laughs> and then I'm, he's just like flipping them over. And I'm like, "What are you doing?" And then on the inside, it it looks even weirder. So the picture on the Instagram is of both sides of it, so that you can see. But it really it tripped me out, and it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just live in the lavish luxury lifestyle, picking up dog poop and physically <laughs> finding pieces of dead animals in your yard isn't that how it happens <laughs> that's how it happens you're just picking up dog shit and there we go <laughs> um really quick i wanted to tell you guys um about something that i just like found out um so i don't know if anybody else has watched this movie it is called uh 10 things i hate about you it's with oh, um, yeah Julia Styles and uh, Heath Ledger, and it has like Gabrielle Union in it and Georgia, and I forgot what the other kid's name is. Um, but Jonathan Taylor Thomas, yeah, that guy, I think. No, Joseph, Gor- Joseph Gordon Levitt, whatever his name is. Anyways, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the point. So, the dude, so Julia Styles, her name is Kat in the movie, and um. The guy um, who goes and tries to date her sister, he actually, his name is, uh, his real name is Andrew Keegan. And somebody had actually posted this in one of the groups on Facebook that I'm in. And it was actually telling um, about how he's actually a quote unquote spiritual leader. So basically he's like in a cult and he is the cult leader. Um, So I thought that was really interesting um his the cult that he is in is called the full circle venice um and yeah uh he he's um him and his wife are the leaders of this cult i just thought it was really crazy because you hear of like these child stars and how their lives turn into something totally different and like this is pretty like interesting that he became a cult leader that is weird after do you know if it's like a well you said spiritual but is it like a religious cult or um some some of the articles i read um they do call it a religious cult but for like i guess it's like their own religion is what they basically made it into okay um sorry guys and if i sound weird it's because i'm sick um yeah uh y'all know i get sick a lot unfortunately all the time (laughs) all the time um i was trying to see if i could um find any more info on it um so it's this is basically i'm getting this from cosmopolitan.com i'm going to read it what they said so it says the spiritual movement is called full circle and it is made up of eight core members um the inner circle one of which refers to him to Keegan as third eye. Um, and apparently they have a giant talking parrot named Krishna. Um, okay. I don't know why that was important, but it's called, they like do something called advanced spiritualism, um, which is otherwise described as the highest spiritualism found on universal knowledge. Hmm. Uh, yes so yeah that's interesting well you can find them in venice beach if anybody is going to you know california um but yeah 
Interesting. And you said Krishna or Krishnav? Krishna. Krishna is something in Hinduism. Is it? I don't Let's remember see. exactly what, um, but I know that name. I think it might be maybe a lord or a god or something like this. But yeah, that's a big thing in Hinduism, so that's interesting. Yes. It right here it says the name Krishna originates from the Sanskrit word Krishna, which is primarily an adjective meaning black, dark, dark blue, or the all attractive. Interesting. So yeah. the moral of the story is that there is cult there are cults all around us. Yes, basically. Absolutely. Basically. So interesting. Well, we just want to do one more quick announcement. I know this is turning into quite a bit, but, you know, we don't frequently do this anymore. So this is going to be your one cluster for the season. (laughs) Um, But we're also going to be changing a little bit of the format, how we do trigger warnings. Because we were talking about how kind of, you know, in the middle of an episode when somebody says, you know, there's a trigger warning, it's kind of hard to know what to expect. Like if you're only people who are triggered by something typically aren't triggered by 18,000 things. It's usually something specific. And so we decided that something that we kind of do to make it just a little bit easier for our listeners would be putting our trigger warnings in our show notes so what we're going to be doing and of course we're not going to put like murder i mean i think that's pretty um you can pretty much assume that but we're going to be putting um for example like if there's children (laughs) if there's children at all in the story (laughs) that's a trigger no i'm kidding um sorry i meant like if there's like a child abuse or any kind of child related something we're going to put that in our show notes if there's going to be sexual assault or self-harm or any kind of suicidal ideation or discussion or any kind of animal cruelty or drug use or eating disorders like anything like that we will put all of that in our show notes at the bottom and just say trigger warnings for the episode and that way you kind of know going in like okay if this is going to talk about suicidal ideation i do not need to listen to this episode so that way you kind of have an idea up front what you're kind of getting yourself into so please take a look at that if there's a certain kind of something that you don't want to listen to so that way you know when the episode comes out whether or not to so right and um i you know i have a hard time with giving you guys trigger warnings like saying trigger warning is coming up or whatever even though i know what i'm about to say is really horrendous most of the time and i don't know why my brain and my mouth do not like work together on that so yeah i feel like this is a good way for um you guys to be able to look into the description and um basically see whether or not you want to listen to it Uh, right which hopefully you're wanting to listen to it because you guys love us but either way but we understand that some topics aren't for everybody so if you're one of those people who are like i can't listen to something with a child involved you'll know up front if there's going to be a child involved Right. Um, can I go off topic one more time? Of course. We're still already off topic, so we'll <laughs> kind of just really quick, just to to reiterate how much my brain doesn't work with my actions, my mouth, basically. So our friend Erica that I work with at the hospital. Hey, Erica, what's up, girl? Um. <laughs> anyway, so she had like a really bad sunburn, and like I visually I could tell like her arm was really red and in my brain I was like oh my god poor Erica she has a sunburn don't smack her arm because you know usually I'm like hey girl and I just tap her on her arm and then so by the time the thought like finished my hand reached out and I smacked her on the arm 
Oh my god. Erica, I'm so sorry you had to suffer through Jasmine's <laughs> brutality. <laughs> okay, that's my story, but yeah, just just so you guys can see where my brain goes. She's telling it as a story, I'm using it as a public apology. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the idea. <laughs> well, let's do the thing. We're 12 minutes in, we may as well start the freaking episode, am I right? Let's do this. <laughs> so today we are actually going to be talking about two different cases. And the reason that we're doing two in one episode is not because they don't deserve their own episode. It's merely because there's not a ton of information on either one of these cases. But we wanted to talk about both of them. But we also didn't want to do 10 minute episodes. So we decided we would put these two together. And another reason that we chose these two specific ones to put together is because they were recommended to us by the same person. So we just wanted to shout out first, Christiana. Thank you so much for recommending these cases. I had never heard of either one. And I am excited to tell everybody else about them because these are those kinds of cases that don't get told. So they deserve their place. And it's going to be right here today. So the first person that we're going to talk about is Beverly, who went by Jay Potter Mintz. And my sources are NBC News, Star News Online, USA Today, and the Huffington Post. And I also had looked at DrMauriceGodwin.com. He has, um, he'll actually be a little bit pertinent in some of these cases for our North Carolina season because he does some independent research on some of these women. So again, thank you, Christiana. So Jay recently went through a separation with her husband who was in the military and he was stationed in Germany, which left Jay and her two sons in Leland, North Carolina by themselves. Now Leland is um, actually the town that right next to where Jasmine lives and right next to where I live. Jasmine, you live. Well, actually, we're not going to say that on the, <laughs> Never mind. It's, it's the neighboring we, town. We live in the general vicinity. <laughs> yes. We live in the general vicinity of Leland. Um, yes. And Jay began working as a waitress in neighboring Wilmington and was starting to get used to her new lifestyle. So Jay was known for being a shy and quiet girl except for when it came to those who were close to her. So Jay, Jay was incredibly close to her cousin, Renee, and when they lived near each other, the two of them would often ride horses and they would talk for hours. Though Renee had since moved to Texas, she had just visited Jay for a few weeks and returned home on February the 14th of 1987. So Jay had recently begun dating and had her cousin, Angela, and her daughter move in. So Jay got a lot of attention from men, and some of them even crossed the line in my personal opinion. One time someone wrote, I love you, Jay, in her driveway, which is very creepy. And someone had once left her a rose at the restaurant that she worked at also. I know that's like probably meant to be a nice gesture, but just to me, like keep it out of the place that I work. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm cool like if like we're dating and you want to send me like flowers or an edible arrangement or something but like if i don't really know you or like if we're just kind of like talking like stay away from my job we need boundaries right. right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah well exactly and so i just think and especially in her driveway like why are you at my house like that just kind of crosses right. a line to me so jay had recently placed an ad in the paper to sell her waterbed now they were running a promotion that for one month the ad was free to place but nobody bought the bed in the first month. So Jay and Angela's home received a lot of phone calls in this period of time, though. 
both Jay and Angela were harassed by anonymous callers who made sexual and disturbing calls to them. Jay would also sometimes get a phone call right after getting home, and the caller would hang up when she answered, which is terrifying because it's like they knew she was just walking in the door. Yeah, it's like, it's like you can tell somebody's watching you, and it's very disturbing in my opinion, and I don't like that. Exactly. So in mid-February of 1987, Jay confided in Angela that she had a dream that a strange man tried to kill her, and she was visibly very shaken by it. Well, when it became time to list the waterbed again, Jay decided to use her mother, Laureen's number, so that she could do it for free again. They were still running the promotion. And this time she had some luck. On February 23rd of 1987, Jay was getting things ready for her son, Andrew's second birthday party, which was the following day. She was preparing the home for the family to visit, including her sister Jill, who lived in Colorado, who would be traveling to North Carolina for the event. Now, Andrew was home with her, but her eldest son, who was four-year-old BJ, was with his paternal grandmother that day. So, Laureen called Jay at 9.40 a.m. to let her know that a man was coming to check out the waterbed. And Jay told her, she's like, oh, you know, the bed's still here, but I actually just sold it, so, like, he doesn't need to come. And Lorraine's like, okay, well, I already gave him directions to your house and he was leaving. So you can just tell him, you know, you already sold it when he gets there. So at noon, Lorraine arrived at Jay's house. The front door was unlocked, which was really weird to Lorraine. So Jay wasn't the kind of person who left her door unlocked. Like most people, like, why would you leave your door unlocked? But, you know, some people. So she walked into the house and she heard her grandson crying. So she went to go find her grandson, but she came across a really horrifying scene when she found him. Jay was bound with her hands behind her back and a pillowcase over her head on the waterbed, deceased. She had been stabbed eight times, her throat was slashed, and she had been raped. Andrew was completely unharmed, thankfully, but could only say, quote, mean man hurt mommy, mommy cry. Oh no! It's terrible. So police searched the house for anything left behind from the killer, but all that they could find was a cutout of the classified ad with the waterbed circled in it, which they presumed that the killer brought there. There were no signs of forced entry, indicating that the man had knocked on the door to gain entry, and he was completely unnoticed by people working on the roof on the house across the street. He also took with him whatever knife he used to attack her. Additionally, this house is located off of Village Road. So for anybody who lives locally, you know where that is. (laughs) At the time, her house neighbored a florist shop and had a restaurant just several houses down. So this man was not worried about being caught. And this was, you know, she got the phone call from her mom at 940 a.m. So this was during the daytime early daytime. In the USA Today article I read, the author makes a really good point. Because Andrew was left at the scene unharmed, whoever did this to Jay wasn't worried that Andrew would know who she, who they were. But Andrew did actually remember a couple of things. He knew that the man had knocked at the door and that Jay looked through the peephole and didn't see anybody. When she opened the door, a white male let himself inside. So Dr. Maurice Godwin, who's that investigative psychologist I mentioned earlier, he said of it, quote, 
I believe the individual had been stalking her. The person was comfortable watching the house and going in. He knew there was not an adult male in the home, so he had to be watching. This also explains the phone calls that I mentioned earlier where she got them right when she got home. But I also want to remind everybody that this is before cell phones. We're talking about 1987. So this person would either have to live like right there or have to have gone to a nearby payphone, which they did have, or to have stalked her enough to know that when she left work, it took her X amount of minutes to get home. So like if they were at the restaurant, they knew, okay, she'll be home in 22 minutes. I can call her in 23, which is just so creepy. Yeah, that is creepy. So Dr. Godwin had some great pictures of her home on the website, but they're all copyrighted. So I'm not going to post them on our Instagram, but I will link it in our show notes if you do want to see that. Lorene had extreme guilt after the incident, which I don't think is fair. She was supposed to have gone to Jay's home earlier than noon, and she thought that maybe if she had, things would be different. Or, you know, if she didn't give the guy directions, things would be different. I strongly disagree with that. It's not her fault. So Yeah, exactly. Um, she couldn't have predicted that. Um, even though, like, you know, she had been having all these weird phone calls and stuff, like, you, there was no way, really, that she could have stopped it. I mean, unless she could have called the guy back, but even then, like, you know, like you said, this is the 80s. Like, you don't have a cell phone. So once you're gone from your house, if somebody calls you, you're not going to know about it until you come back home. Right. And why would you think that somebody who's calling on an ad that you have in the paper for a waterbed is coming there to kill you? Exactly. Exactly. It's specific. It was a targeted crime to me. Because, again, he had to have known that she was there alone. Right. So, Lorene died in 2007 without any answers about Jay's murder. And DNA was collected at the scene. And with the advancement of DNA technology, investigators are hopeful that it will give them some leads in the upcoming years. But as of this moment, this case is unsolved. So if anybody has information, the tip line that you can call is 910-253-2777. And it is just so, I mean... I'm flabbergasted by it, quite honestly. I just don't understand how you can just be living your life, an everyday life, and you're just trying to sell a waterbed, and somebody takes advantage of the opportunity and comes and kills you. It's terrifying, and it's awful. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it just the, and like, I think the part that kind of gets me too is it, it was in broad daylight. Like right. you said, there was roofers across the, it was across the street, right? Right. Yeah, like, there's people who, you know, could have potentially have seen you. Um, In your case, unfortunately, you got lucky, I guess, is a way that I can say it. But um, that they didn't pay, they weren't able to pay attention to you as closely as most people would. Like, this is, this is crazy. And with the floor shop and the restaurant being right up the road, like, people were around People were right. in the area and he was not concerned, which makes me think that she, he had been stalking her for a while. Uh, I don't know. Like, this is, I don't, I don't know what else to say. It's just, it's, it's crazy. And it's still a cold case, right? That's what you said, right? It is. Yeah. And that's what's so frustrating is that there's nothing to pull from. There are, I mean, there's nobody saw anything. So, um. I did look up, like, where 
her house was mm-hmm. like the road um and just like present day there's like the library there's a public park like there yeah she's in the that area was it looks populated now but still she's not that far from like the little like the main shopping center area. Right. It's completely built up now. Back in the 80s, Leland was a very small area. And that has completely changed. (laughs) Yeah, like when I first moved here in 2000, I think it was like 2010, something like that. um, My grandma used to call it the, the, like when they first got the Walmart, Uh she used to call it the, the bougie Walmart. (laughs) and now like i've you know i've obviously been to the area and i'm like grandma it's not even bougie but i see why and like even then like now it's like they got chick-fil-a and uh lowe's uh what is that the lowe's food store and all that stuff so yeah it's definitely bigger now yeah, it's a completely changed area, so it's not surprised. Sorry if you guys can hear something fumbling around. My dog just climbed into a chair and almost knocked everything over. So I don't know <laughs> if that was loud through the microphone. I apologize. But, no, it's completely different. So, yeah, it's there's no chance of anything else changing for that. So unless somebody saw something and somebody came forward or some that person who committed that crime told somebody like i don't see how else you know if they collect the dna at this you know at the scene hopefully they have enough that they can keep running tests you know and putting it in codis and hopefully something will eventually match i don't know they don't specify what kind of dna like it what it came from because you know they said that she was assault, sexually assaulted so my thought is that it is probably from that because they were able to determine that but again i have no idea so that's just speculation. But anyway, so that's the case of Jay Potter Mintz. And we are going to go ahead and move into our second case. And we are going to be talking about Alicia Deans. Now, my sources for Alicia Deans are WECT News, Fayetteville Observer, Star News Online, Brunswick Beacon, and Legacy.com. So Alicia Marie Deans was born on April 1st, 1989. Complications from her birth made her cognitive abilities slightly less in tune than the average person, which allowed her to be a little bit more trusting than most people. She was, by all accounts, a sweet and loving person and mother. Alicia also lived in Leland, North Carolina, and her mother, Sheila, lived in neighboring town, Bolivia. Alicia had two young kids, Aaliyah and Bentley. The kids recently began staying with Sheila in her home. Nathan Tyler Jr., Michael Williams, and Kayla, Tur- excuse me, Kayla Turner wanted to kidnap Tyler's ex-girlfriend. But, and uh, the fact that that sentence is even something that I can say is just ridiculous. Absolutely. But not wanting to use his own vehicle, Tyler came up with the brilliant idea that... What they should do is kidnap somebody else first and use their vehicle. So that's what they did. Uh, Okay. So Turner would later say that Tyler threatened to kill herself and Williams, who was her boyfriend, if they did not cooperate. 
Now, according to Star News, the three were also wanting to rob Alicia of money that she had gotten in an insurance settlement from a car accident that had happened two months prior. Now, Alicia had been on the way to see her now ex-boyfriend and ended up in a coma from the accident. He had stayed by her side the entire time, even though he was her ex. After the accident, Alicia tried to work things out with her children's father, but it quickly faded. On April 28th of 2015, Alicia was made to believe that her ex-boyfriend, who by the way is Tyler's son, wanted to reconcile. Turner also actually knew Alicia from church, so they convinced Alicia to come to Tyler's home, leaving Brunswick County where she lived and head over to Columbus County, which is the neighboring county that's going south. And it's probably, the distance between their actual houses was probably about 30 minutes, just as for reference. So Aaliyah, her daughter, was sick, but she wanted to go with Alicia on this drive. And Sheila told Alicia it was a bad idea and that she needed to leave her sick daughter behind. So Alicia left Aaliyah behind and went on the drive by herself. Once Alicia arrived and was in the home with Turner and Tyler, the plan began. Williams, who she did not know, walked into the home with a gun pointed at them, telling them to get down on their stomachs. He tied them up with shoelaces and demanded their money. From Alicia's bag, he took the $34 that she had in her wallet and her cell phone. Alicia's head was then covered with a sheet, and the three walked her to the trunk of her own car, putting her inside. Turner states that she continued to play along and remained tied up, but she was placed in the back of the car. Turner's impression of the rest of the evening was that Alicia was going to be placed in an abandoned building while they used her car but it took a very dark turn. Williams was dropped off, and Tyler, who was driving the car, backed into a heavily wooded area in Tabor City, which is um, in Columbus County in southern part of North Carolina. When he stopped, he took Alicia out of the trunk and walked with her to the woods. The next thing that she heard was a muffled gunshot. Tyler had shot Alicia once in the back of the head. That night, Sheila tried to contact Alicia, but her phone went straight to voicemail. She didn't think that much of it until the next day, when she still hadn't heard from Alicia. So Sheila began contacting Alicia's friends via Facebook, including her ex-boyfriend, who told Sheila that he hadn't seen Alicia. So she immediately reported Alicia missing, because she knew where he was, she was supposed to be going. And I just want to really quick give Sheila props for this. She was like, no, I know she was supposed to come see you and she didn't make it there. Cool. I'm reporting her missing. Good move. Good quick action. So the next day, Williams and Turner were going to take Alicia's card to kidnap Tyler's ex-girlfriend, whose name is Candy Lee. According to him, Candy would, would be going to court with information that would get Tyler put into jail for the rest of his life, which is... So ironic, considering that he just shot Alicia in the head. Like, clearly you're not that afraid of going to prison for the rest of your life. But okay. Right. So Tyler did not come with them to help disguise the situation because Candy didn't know the other two. And they decided against doing it. And they told people, or they told, excuse me, they told Tyler that there were people outside of Candy's home and that they would get caught. Which was not true. 
they just decided to back out. So Tyler later set her car on fire to get rid of any evidence. On May 11th of 2015, Tyler was pulled over in South Carolina for a burglary investigation completely unrelated to Alicia or Candy. He had a warrant for his arrest and police put him in the patrol car. The officer was speaking to somebody outside of the vehicle when Tyler managed to shimmy his hands in the handcuffs like to the front of his body, climbed over the driver's seat, and drove off in the car. A crash ended what turned into a high-speed chase and Tyler was brought to jail. On May 13th, 2015, Turner went to the police and confessed to her role in the murder. She showed police where they would find Alicia's body, and they located her submerged in a pond with no attempts to conceal her body. She was identified that day by a tattoo on her wrist. So Kayla Turner, who was 18 when the murder happened, was sentenced in 2018 at age 21 to 20 years in prison. Michael Williams, who was 30 when the murder happened and 33 at his sentencing in 2018, was given 30 years in prison. They both pleaded guilty to first-degree kidnapping, second-degree murder, and robbery with a dangerous weapon. Nathan Tyler Jr., who was 42 at the time of the murder and 45 at his sentencing in 2018, was given life without parole. He was found guilty of first-degree murder, kidnapping, and robbery with a dangerous weapon. And that is the story of poor Alicia Deans, who was murdered for literally no reason. Right, because people are too lazy to go work hard for themselves and feel like they can steal and murder people. Exactly. Well, thank you guys for listening. If you want to see pictures from this episode, please check out our show notes. And also, please look on our Instagram at... Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. And if you want to follow us on Facebook for the newest episode releases, you can do that at... Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. You can follow us on Twitter at... Uh, crafts and crime. You can subscribe to our Patreon and get those bonus episodes at Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. And lastly, no, not lastly, you can send us an email at (laughs) (laughs) Um, Crafts, Drafts, and Crime at (laughs) gmail.com. And lastly, if you use Apple, please rate and review us. Yes, please, please do. Um, We love reading the reviews. You know, mainly if they're good, but if they're bad, we'll read them too. Um, (laughs) Let us know what you love. Let us know what you hate. And most importantly, keep listening. Until next time. Bye. Bye.